The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Today, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. We are in what we call the month of prayer in the Word. If you're new with us, we do this every year. Uh, years ago, when we began this, some 14 or 16 years ago, however long it was when we started, we started with what we called, we called it a, a week of prayer in the Word. And then when we moved here to this new location, we felt it would be more pertinent for us to have an entire month to be able to have some concentrated time to hear from God's Word regarding both the importance of prayer in our lives, the importance of God's Word in our life as we start out every year, and then also doing those things. So as we continue to have these times throughout this month, there is some great times. We had a wonderful prayer time this past Wednesday night. Uh, yesterday had a wonderful prayer time with our men's prayer breakfast, and this coming Wednesday night we'll have another prayer time here at 6 o'clock. Our children, students, and adults will be in here, and then next Sunday night we'll have prayer gatherings in homes in Slidell, Lacombe, Pearl River, and Covington. You can sign up for those on the app. You can sign up that for our website. Just click on resources and events. You can find those. Our first location in Slidell filled up, so we have a second location that's opened up. Stephen Eve Spires is going to host that. We want to get together and just simply seek the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you as you do this, just know the enemy doesn't want us to pray together. Uh, this morning, I fought our copy machine for an hour just to print out our prayer guide for you. I said, we're going to pray. <laughs> okay, so we're going to, so the enemy doesn't want us to pray. And so we're going to get together. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, to be together. This is what I told the men yesterday. Some of you may feel intimidated by getting together and praying together. Look, I grew up in a church that was a very small, rural, uh, country church, but I learned how to pray by not going to a class. I learned how to pray by being around people who prayed. Just being in groups and just hearing people pray, I learned people genuinely calling out to the Lord. I remember times getting up from the altar and there'd be tears on the altar, people just pleading for the Lord. Look, if we want to see God move, that's what we have to get back to. We have to get back to interceding together. Look, if you're thinking everybody else has got it together and you're the only one who doesn't, don't believe that lie. We all have issues that we struggle with, and the sooner that we can depend on each other, the better off we are as a church family. So that's why we're here. We call this place redemption because the Lord can redeem anyone, any person's situation. So we're here together to support each other and to encourage each other. So I'm believing, even as we got together this past week just as a staff, just fasting and praying, we, we all have a sense the Lord is going to do something great this year. And I just want us to pray, believing that. So avail yourself to these wonderful times. And even today, we had 33 people that signed up to go on our prayer walk. First prayer walk that we're doing, Caleb Dudasat, my pastoral intern, is going to be leading that. So we're going to have a meal together, and then we're going out. I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing. Well, I gave you two weeks ago a definition of fasting and prayer as we start out this month of prayer and fasting. Because what I'm encouraging you to do, in addition to these prayer needs, is to really lay before the Lord something that you feel for yourself, your family, or for the church that you want to see God do. And I've encouraged you to, tr to truly take some time to think about what you want to fast about and when you would fast and pray. Here's the definition. Fasting is primarily restraining oneself from food for a specific time combined with prayer in order to focus on God more intently and to present specific needs to Him. So my encouragement to you is this. The sooner you get in the game on this, 
the sooner you're going to be able to really tap the resources of God. Now, the, the first question that's on your prayer guide is this. What do you want to see God do in your life and in your family? And it says, write it down and pray over it. I'm just challenging you from the youngest in your family to the oldest. Take this serious. Lay before God. Discipline yourself. Fast from a meal. Some of us might need to fast from social media for a month. We'd be better off instead of clouding our mind with a bunch of stuff and just meet with the Lord. So my challenge to you is to do those things. Well, today we are coming to a text in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I've titled this sermon, Living as Exiles for the King. This passage of scripture encompasses a passage of scripture that often gets quoted and misquoted and misapplied. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you probably have heard the passage of scripture quoted that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. And we're going to talk about that passage of scripture today, but that's simply encompassed in a greater picture of what Jeremiah as messenger of God to speak to the people of God in regards to what was going on in their situation. And I want to challenge us from Jeremiah 29, the way that they were challenged to live is the way that we need to also live. Jeremiah challenges the people of God, both in two aspects of praying as well as seeking the Lord. And I'm going to make the application about seeking him through prayer and the word. This is going to be our primary text this morning, but let me just give you a couple of other passages to be ready for. Uh, as you know, what I encourage you to do is to take notes as we're studying, as we're preaching, because I don't want you just to be a receiver. I want you to be a what? A reproducer. I want you to be able to have the word and to know the word and to go back and talk about the word. One of the things that we love to do as a family, when we sit together over lunch, we're all, we talk about what our kids have learned in small group. We talk about what I've talked about here because restating it is a way by which you get to reply that text of Scripture. So I would encourage you to introduce that to your own lives. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to be doing that, but a couple of passages. James chapter 4 is one of the passages we'll be looking at, and Second Chronicles chapter 36. Those are two primary ones. I will give you a couple of others when we get there, but those are the ones I want you to have ready. Living as exiles for the king. Now, some of you may be thinking, how in the world is this going to connect to our month of prayer in the word? But I believe you'll see that very clearly as we walk through this passage of scripture. Here's the context. Jeremiah is a prophet of God who was living in Jerusalem. And the people of Judah were in exile. They were no longer there in Jerusalem and Judah because they had been disobedient. And God had exiled them. They were no longer there, so they were now living in Babylon. And God had told them through the prophet Jeremiah that they actually were going to be there 70 years. And that's the context of what's happening. And when you get to Jeremiah chapter 29, there had been a false prophet who had been speaking to the people when they got there early and said to them, you're not going to be here 70 years. You're just going to be here two years and God's going to send you back. That's the context that happens in Jeremiah 29. So when Jeremiah comes back on the scene and he corrects what the false prophet had said, he's like, no, no, that's not what God said. This is what God said. You're stuck for 70 years. And this is how you need to live while you're there. So here's why I want to just kind of challenge you from the very beginning. Some of you are in situations, jobs, marriages, scenarios, and you feel like, man, I'm stuck in this. What do I need to do? And I want you to hear what Jeremiah 29 says to us is maybe you feel an exile out of whatever situation that you thought you would be in. And you're in the situation that you are now. How do you live where you are right now? How do you live in the situation that you're in? 
How do you live as a follower of God in whatever context, challenge, or burden that you're in? This passage of Scripture challenges all of us because some foundational things that Jeremiah told them is what we're talking about in the month of prayer and word. What we need is to be prayerful people. What we need is to be people who seek the Lord with all of our hearts through the word and just seeking his face. Those are things he told them some 500 years before Jesus came. And here we are 2,000 years after Jesus came. And I want to hold out to you that the truths are still the same. You and I are actually exiles in this land. If we are followers of Jesus, an exile is someone who's living somewhere that it's actually not their permanent dwelling. This land, it's not our permanent dwelling. If you're a follower of Jesus, the kingdom, the ultimate kingdom, heaven, which where we will be until Jesus comes back, and then this place will all be made new, and then this will be the permanent heaven. So we're just simply passing through. And the sooner we can realize that this is not our permanent home, the better off we will be in our mindset of how we're supposed to live as believers. So hear the word of God this morning, church. God is calling you and me to live as exiles in this land for the king. So part of the challenge for these people was they were getting idle. They were getting lackadaisical because of the false teaching that they heard. So even before I read this passage of Scripture, I'm going to give you all these points, but I want you to understand, there's enough prevalent false teaching today, you can listen to whatever you want to believe. So we have to make certain that what we are living for and hearing are matching in regards to what the Word actually says. So what I want to challenge you as we walk through this, living as exiles for the King is not based upon what you define as true, It's not based upon your parameters of how you're supposed to live, but it's based upon what God has already outlined for us. So whether you're a child, whether you're a teenager, college student, whether you're an adult, senior adult, I just want to challenge you on a lot of fire under you this morning that God is calling us to live for him. Now I'm saying live because I'm not talking about existing. You've heard me say, I don't want to just exist for the kingdom. I don't want to just coast for the kingdom. I want to live for the king. And so that's my challenge to you, and we're going to see how to do that practically this morning. We're going to begin verse 1. We're going to read through verses 14. In verses 1 through verses 3, Jeremiah is addressing the people to whom uh, this message was sent for. And what I want you to see in this, he's going to list some different names that are there. But what I want you to see clearly is no level of authority is missed in regards to who this letter is addressed to. It's going to be addressed to kings, it's going to be addressed to priests, it's going to be addressed to officials, and then he says, and to all the people. Nobody is left out of the message to whom this was given. So listen, if this was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah to those people, and nobody was excluded, that means nobody in this room is excluded either. We need to hear what God says. Verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, just a clarification, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. That's the king that was ruling that brought them out of Jerusalem into Babylon. Verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. 
The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, now here's the message. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to pay attention to the number of times this is used. That phrase is used in the time, in this passages that we're reading. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So let's walk through this passage of scripture. I want to show you a few truths this morning from this passage of scripture, the way that they were challenged to live and the way that we are challenged to live. Number one, we are exiles and we need to stop being idle and live for God until he returns. Now, how do we get this from this passage of Scripture? Remember the context. Chapter 28 is where the false prophet Hananiah gave a letter to the people and told them and says, God's going to deliver you in two years. Now, you can take the time to go back and read chapter 28. But what he's saying to those people is like, hey, don't, I mean, in essence, don't listen to what Jeremiah said. God's really not going to let you be here and suffer for 70 years. Now, I want you to understand something. Hananiah didn't just stand up and say it was in his own accord. Look at chapter 28, and I want you to see the way by which Hananiah addressed the people. Do you remember how Jeremiah addressed the people? What did I say to listen to? He said, thus says the Lord, right? Now look at chapter 28, and look at verse 2. Now you can see the name Hananiah that's there, that's in verses 1, and probably the top of your chapter, it may be some kind of... A title, a subheading that actually says the false prophet Hananiah. But notice how he addressed the people. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place. Now, how did he address the people? Thus says who? The Lord. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. Now, just because someone says thus says the Lord, doesn't mean it's thus says the Lord. Now, you've heard me say to you before that my mentor who was here last August, who came and preached for our pastor's conference, what gave me the the great gravity of preaching, he said, never stand up and say, thus says the Lord, if you don't know that's what the Lord said. And so I would say that to small group leaders. I would say that even to preschool workers. When you start saying this is what God said, you need to know it's what God said. 
James chapter 3 says, if we're going to be teachers, you need to make sure that there's a high calling to those who teach the word. So all you are small group leaders, I'm grateful for you, but may we all understand that this is God's word and we do not mess with his word. We need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be able to know his word well, to teach the word well. Hananiah stands saying, this is what God said. Now, do you think God took light of that? There's this debate back and forth between chapter 28. So uh, Jeremiah actually addresses Hananiah. And so Hananiah takes a wooden yoke that Jeremiah had. He had this yoke that he wore to demonstrate how the people of Judah were going to be bound by the king, Nebuchadnezzar. So Hananiah takes the yoke, breaks it, and says, no, God has broken the yoke from you. And so Jeremiah leaves. He leaves him to God. Then God says, Hananiah, you've broken the yoke, but I put a yoke of iron on the people. They ain't leaving. That's Byron's paraphrase. And then, two months later, you want to know what happened to Hananiah? The Lord took his life. Because he was giving false messages. Now, there's false prophets that's happening today, and sometimes I'm thinking, Lord, why are these individuals allowed just to speak what they're speaking? I don't want harm on anyone, but I just hate for people to be led astray from what is true. I have to leave those things to the Lord's hand, but I want you to understand something. God holds his word high. And he reveres and making certain that it's actually spelled true. And so this is why Jeremiah comes on the scene now in chapter 29. That's why he's sending the message. He says, people, I want you to hear this. Because they've been hearing false teaching. They have not hear, heard what was true. They were being persuaded. So wouldn't you like to hear that you're going to get to go back in two years instead of 70 years? That's, when your ears hear that, you're like, oh, that's awesome. So if that's the case then why would you want to do what Jeremiah said for them to do from the Lord? Hey, build houses, plant vineyards. You wouldn't want to do all those things because that means you're settling down, right? So the, the case would be, well, you're just going to cruise. Let's just kind of wait till we get to the two years and then we're going to get to get out of here. That's kind of the background. So Jeremiah, what does Jeremiah tell them to do? Look at the text again. What does he say to them? This is what you need to do. Verse 5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters. Make sure that you're doing things here. So he's telling them, hey, live. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Guess what that means? Some of them are never going back. So they can sit there and they can sulk and they can be angry and they can be bitter or they can realize we're here. So we're going to live for the God, our God, while we are here in this time. So let me tell you something. Some of you don't like the way the political system is. Some of you don't like the way your job system is. Some of you don't like whatever it is. And I can just go on with a laundry list. I have written down several things, but I don't think you need me to go through those things. We can sulk and complain. And we can, and that's exactly where the enemy wants us. So some of you need to hear this. You say, well, I'm not an exile. Well, if you're a Christian, you're exiled because this is not your home. But some of you are exiled from the idea of what you wanted in life. Some of you are exiled from the career that you thought you were supposed to have. Some of you are exiled from the way you thought that your parenting or your marriage or whatever the scenario is. Or maybe you feel like you're exiled from the health that you wanted to have. Because maybe things didn't turn out the way it was supposed to be. And in those situations, Satan can make you very bitter. And just like these people, they could just sit on their hands or they could hear what God says to them. Hey, you're there. Build a house. 
Get married, have kids. Don't decrease, he said, but increase. And you say, what's the importance for that? Can you imagine? Now, why are they in exile to begin with? Second Chronicles chapter 36. Turn there with me. I want you to see why they're there. Is it just simply because God got angry with them? No. Because what, you're going to, what I want to show you in 2 Chronicles 36, they were doing the very opposite of the things that now God's telling them to do in Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah 29, he tells them to seek the welfare of the city, to pray for the city, to seek the Lord with all their heart. And guess what happened? Let me just kind of paraphrase it for you. They got proud, puffed up, arrogant, and sought their own way. And what happens is God was going to discipline them as a result of them not honoring and seeking God first. Second Chronicles 36, let's just look at verses 11 through 16. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priest and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord, and he had made holy in Jerusalem. Let me just stop there for a moment. They were pursuing or seeking the abominations of the other nations rather than seeking after God. The very thing that Jeremiah told them that they needed to do. So their hearts were turned away from God and their hearts were turned to the things of the nations around them. They were not pursuing the Lord. Zedekiah is ignoring the mouth of the Lord, the word of the Lord, Jeremiah. You say, well, we don't really have prophets that are speaking today. Well, when someone is speaking biblical truth and speaking warning to you, that's prophetic teaching. That's prophetic preaching. And we have the word of the Lord. You have a copy of God's word in your hands. I would bet to get better that some of you probably have multiple copies of God's words in your house, in your car. You have a phone. You have it. We have the word of God readily accessible to us. And some of us need to hear the word of the Lord of what he is saying. So they're there in Jerusalem. What did God give them? Did he give them one chance, two chances? Look with me there at verse 15 of Second Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers. Why? Because he had, say it with me, compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. What was the dwelling place he had compassion on? What was it? His temple, the place where he would have his presence of God that's there. But verse 16, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words. And scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Fast forward. God has been gracious. They have rebelled against the word. They rebelled against pursuing God. And so God sends them to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And so now they're going to be there not just two years. They're going to be there for how long? Seventy years. And so they've had a false prophet tell them, oh, you're just going to be here for a little bit. No, no, no. Because God has to carry out his judgment upon the people. He was compassionate to them. He gave them plenty of warnings, but then God brings, brought discipline upon them. Listen closely to me. God works the same way today. He will give us grace. He will give us warnings. And then he will eventually bring discipline to be able to get our attention. You say, where's that in the Bible? The book of Hebrews says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. 
So when we look at this passage of Scripture, these people were idle, and so he's trying to stir them up to say, hey, your, your hearts were far from God, but now this is where you are, so you need to pursue him with all that you are. You know, the Bible actually tells us and calls us, so I'll give you this passage. We won't turn there for the time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Write it down. Peter says we are called sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. Some people use the word aliens. Well, let me explain to you. When you and I get saved, well, let me back up a little bit. When we are lost and don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are considered aliens to the kingdom of God, meaning we don't belong there. But when we get saved by the power of Jesus Christ, we get rescued from the domain of darkness and we get placed in his kingdom. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we who were once were outcasts, strangers, he says we're no longer aliens to the kingdom. So if we're now in the kingdom, then that now makes us an exile in this land. You follow me? So the way that we're living is we're supposed to be living for a greater purpose. Yeah, these people were in a place because of judgment and discipline that God had put on them, but they needed to now understand what Jeremiah was saying to them. Hey, you're here. Live. Live for the kingdom. They needed repentance, and God was going to keep them there to get their attention. So some of you listen to me. Some of you are waiting for your situation to change before you start doing something for the kingdom. Could it be that God is going to keep you right where you are until you actually get things changed? Now listen, I understand that sometimes you're in situations not because of your cause. It's as a result of someone else. And we're not going to ever have a perfect scenario as long as we're in this world. Because sin affects. It's like a ripple current. And when a rock is thrown into a water, it just ripples and affects other people. But what you can do in the, in the midst of those situations, you can say, okay, Lord, how do I need to live for you in this scenario? It's no coincidence that Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Can you imagine what would happen in Babylon? This is a hypothetical. Can you imagine what would have happened in Babylon if all two million plus people that got exiled over there got on fire for God, repented and believed in him? Could you imagine what would have happened in the abomination place of Babylon? That would have been amazing. Because they didn't all live in one city. They were all in one kind of in place. They were all scattered in different places. Guess what? You, our church, comes from places all across the North Shore. So we're living in different places. What would happen? What would happen if we all actually lived for the kingdom? Not just existing, but living at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in the jobs that we do, when we're doing recreation sports, your extracurricular activities. What would happen? Man, God could use those type of people to bring and rescue many other people. Well, we need to move on for the sake of time. Let me show you the second truth that's here. He tells them not just to live there. Back to Jeremiah chapter 29. He tells them there that they'll have their exiles to do these particular things. And some of you may say, man, does I need to need, may I need to go buy a house? Does I mean I plant a garden? Well, let's make this practical first, okay? What he means is wherever you are, plant yourself. Don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Byron says I need to go take on debt and buy a house. The Lord did not say that, okay? Do you understand? Are we with me? It means just that we're living in such a way. And some of you are going to say, man, I went and bought a tiller because you said i got to plant a garden. Well, you might need to because groceries are getting kind of high. Do what you need to do. But you get the point that I'm trying to make, right? Everybody with me? Yes? 
All right, what's the second thing he tells us there in verse 7? So notice the contrast that's there, but seek the welfare of the city. So rather than like leaving, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Let's point out the first thing. Who sent them there? The Lord did. You see it in the text? Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. Now, could it be that even in God's sovereignty and his providence and maybe the scenario that you have is actually under God's great control? That where you are, God's in control of all those things rather than kind of get miserable and wonder about those things. Now, look, it may be tough, but pray for God to change those things. But God is in control of all things. And he says, look, I've sent you there. So I want you to seek the welfare of the city and pray for the welfare of the city. Can you imagine how difficult this message actually probably would have been for them? Put you in the context. You're now a slave. You're living in a land that's a thousand miles away from your homeland. You're, you're ruled by people who don't speak your language. You don't have any synagogues to be able to go and worship any longer. And God is saying, hey, while you're here, I want you to seek the benefit of the place where you're living. And I want you to pray for the welfare of the city. Meaning, I want you to pray for your slave owners. I want you to pray for the king of Babylon. I want you to pray for the people who's over you. Let me just put it to you this way. Pray for your enemies. That's what he's saying. I want you to pray for your welfare. This word welfare that's here in this passage of scripture in verse 7. Seek the welfare and pray for the welfare. It's the actual Hebrew word shalom. Pray for the peace of the city. Seek the welfare. Seek for the peace of the city. What does that mean practically? Well, he wants them to be able to pray, to pray for them that God would work in them. Could God actually work even unbelieving leaders and officials actually for the benefit of his people? Can he do that? Certainly he can. We saw it actually after 70 years. He, he raised up or he rose up another king called Persia. Cyrus was his name that God moved up on that unbelieving king to lead the people back to Jerusalem to fulfill his word. Can God work through other situations and circumstances? Yes, he can. She say, why do I want to pray for people I don't like? Because, he says here, at the end of verse 7, when you pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, you will find what? Your welfare. Your value. Your benefit. Look, for years, let me tell you one thing that I have done as a pastor. When I drive down 434, and now knowing 434 expansion is going to happen all the way up to Bogalusa, it's going to be a four-lane. One thing that I do when I drive that road, I've been praying for years, Lord, whatever businesses are going to come here, let it be for the benefit of this town and for the people of God. So even as the land is getting cleared, all those things, that's the practicality. So today... After church, our prayer walk is happening. This is what we're doing. We're going to be walking those communities, walking, praying for businesses. Why? For the benefit. For Ultimately, we want to see people wanting to Jesus. That's the first thing. But we want to pray for the welfare of the city. As God does that, it's for our benefit. So how does that work practically? You pray for leaders. You pray for political officials. You say, is there anywhere else that we're supposed to do that? Do I have to pray for people that I don't like? Well, do you know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. And then he goes on in verse 45. In so doing, you prove that you are a son of the Father. Let me give you another passage. I didn't give this one to you earlier, but I want you to see it. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see this as a possibility. Or not a possibility. I want you to see this as another way by which... 
uh, you can understand how to pray. If you're looking for that in your Bible, you can just go to the very front of your Bible. If you don't really know where that's at, you can look at your table of contents and you can see 1 Timothy's in the New Testament. It's about middle way through of your New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 2, as Paul was encouraging young Timothy, who was a young pastor, what he needed to do. And one of the very first things he told him to do was to pray for those who were in authority. You notice, actually, one of the things I mentioned to you that what we did today was we prayed for those who were political leaders. We prayed for those who were in authority, the new governor, the new people that's in our parish. Why? Because, we, because we're just kind of checking off a box. No, we want God to move. We want God to work greatly. And, and doing that would bless the people. But we want to see people come to know Christ. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Notice it says, so we may lead a peaceful life. Remember what I said to you? The word that's in the Old Testament, it says, pray for the welfare. That's the word shalom. Pray for the peace of the city. Does anybody see a connection in regards to what Paul is saying here? Pray for that you may have a peaceful and godly life. Verse 3, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the purpose of praying for those things is not just so the city does good, it's so the people come to the kingdom. Are you with me? Now go back to Jeremiah chapter 29. So we're praying. There's two ways you can respond to this. When you hear this instruction to say, pray for the city, seek the welfare of the city... You can say, you say, well, i got people over me. And you say, practically pray for those of your employer, people around you. And you say, there's two ways to respond. One say to say, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm going to pray for the destruction of those people. Well, if that's your attitude of your heart, you need to check your heart. If you're really wanting those people to come to destruction, so let's look at the converse of this passage of Scripture. If we're praying for the blessing of this city and we seek its welfare, let's think of the converse. If you're praying for the down grade of those people, then guess who else is the byproduct of those things? We are. Okay, so hence the reason God give us revival in our land. Because as the land degrades, it impacts us. So we understand. The other option to do, instead of just saying no way, is to say, yes, Lord, I am going to pray for the benefit of the people so that you will get much glory That's what I want us to do. What's the third truth? First truth we've looked at is to make sure that we're not living an idol. Secondly, we're saying we're praying for the welfare of the city. Third thing I want you to see is as exiles, as we live in this land, as they lived in that land, they were warned to make certain that they didn't listen to false teachers, false prophets. Because think about it. How are you going to pray accurately if you're listening to false teaching? How are you going to pray correctly if what you're putting within you is not true? So I've said to you before, the way by which you want to know how to pray is if you increase in the knowledge of the Word of God, it governs and guides you how to pray because you're praying biblical truths. You're not just praying what you think. You're not just praying good rationale. You're praying what God's Word says. So look at the text there. Jeremiah 29, verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Remember I said to you, pay attention to how many times he says this. He says it once there earlier, back in verse 4. Now he says it again in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, who are where? Among you. Deceive you. 
And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, how in the world are we going to be able to discern in regards to what is true from what is false in our culture and in our day? Now, in their day, they didn't have all the copies. They weren't sitting around with a scroll in their lap like you and I are sitting right now with a Bible open in their lap. They had to depend upon to be able to discern from what was true of what one was speaking versus one that was not speaking. Actually, Jeremiah says it in the previous chapter. He says if a prophet speaks and it doesn't come to pass, then you know that that prophet is not one that you're supposed to be listening to. That's what they had to be able to discern and listen to those things. Listen, let me just give you an example. If someone is saying to you every believer should always be healthy and wealthy and always everything's going to go smooth with them, turn it off. Because whatever we teach, it has to be true for all cultures, all places, and all times. I know some people who are very faithful to the Lord, who lived their lives for the Lord, and had very little. And people who suffered in countries, who were living for the Lord, have some of the greatest faith. So we can't listen to teaching like that. Because if we took that teaching, we would say, well, those people who were suffering and who have very little, then they must not have enough faith based upon that teaching. But that's false teaching. Okay, so what we say is how do we practically today, how can we discern those things? Because if we want to seek the welfare of the city, we want to live for the king right now. Then what we are privileged by is to have the word of God, just to be in the word of God. You know, last week I challenged you to be able to meditate on the word of God from Joshua 1. It talked about how that we can be strong, courageous and successful in 2024 is to be in the word and meditate on the word. I gave you the illustration of like a a person who does jewelry, who looks at every particular way of the diamond. And as John and I were talking about this afterwards, one of our goals and desires is certainly there's times you need to just like dissect the word. But our heart's desire for you also is just be in the word. Okay, read through the word. One of the values that I do is I try to read through the Bible every year. Whether it takes you two years or three years, what happens is the more times you do that, you know what starts happening for you? You start seeing connections. Anybody ever watched a movie the second or third time? You ever had one of those aha moments? You're like, oh, I didn't know that that person did that. Oh, I didn't know that person said that. Oh. It's the same way when you're reading the Bible over and over again. Pretty soon you say, wow, I can't believe that Leviticus helps me to understand the book of Hebrews. I can't believe that Leviticus and all those laws talking about the priest helps me to understand how Jesus is the great high priest. Wow, I can't believe and understand how Deuteronomy, we're talking about Joshua, was about to go over into the promised land. I can't believe how in Hebrews it says that Jesus is our rest. You begin to see all those dots connect. And so if you want to understand how to discern from false teachers, the best way to do it is just get your nose in the book and read. 1 John chapter 2 says we really don't need someone to teach us because we have the Holy Spirit that's in us to teach us all things. Now, God gave us prophets and pastors and teachers, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, to be able to help us to be equipped because sometimes we're on the milk of the word and we need someone to hold our hands and to help us to be able to understand it. But listen, there's enough prevalency, and listen closely to me. False teachers are not going to stand up and say, hey, I'm a false teacher, so don't listen to me. Because some of them are doing it because they're deceived themselves. And some of them are agents of the enemy. And so we have to be strong and discerning and reading so we can know. Let me just give you a passage. We don't have time to turn there, but let me give you one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. 
Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says our job as pastors is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that we may grow up into the stature and the maturity of Christ so that we will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There's a lot of things that's going to come. Boom, 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 boom. And so if you're reading the word, and let's say that you don't really know a lot of the word yet. But if, you're, if the Holy Spirit who is in you as believers gives you a check in your spirit about something that you listen to, you need to listen to the check. Okay? So even as I'm teaching you, I would challenge you. Even though I'm pastoring you, I would challenge you always to make certain that everything that I am saying is in line and in accordance with the Word of God. I want you to understand, that's why we're very careful who stands in this pulpit. So... Last year, when Dr. Bo Rice came and preached on my behalf, when I had gone to Southeast Asia, it was the first time in, I think, about nine to ten years that I had someone outside of the church actually stand in this pulpit and preach. Does that mean there's nobody else outside that can speak truth? No, there's plenty of people who can, but I'm very careful and cautious. That's why God's raised, allowed us to have other people God's raised up here within the body who can handle the word well. John Jameson, John DeGarris, who have preached for you as well. So understand... We take this seriously, and I'm telling you to take it seriously. So as you go in 2024, and I guarantee you, listen closely to me. Until Jesus returns, more false teaching is going to rise up. Jesus says it in Matthew 24 and 25. John tells us in the epistle, 1 John, that there are many antichrists already. There's going to be one main antichrist that's going to come. So college students, if you're just cruising in your faith, you better pay attention to what I'm telling you. Because there's going to be professors, educators, friends that's going to challenge your belief system. High schoolers, where you are, same thing. When you go into college, you're going to be challenged that way. So you need to have a great foundation so that when you're hearing those things, you can be able to filter out from what is false and from what is true. Now, let me give you the last truth that's here. So certainly we need to understand we're exiles and we need to live, not just exist for the kingdom right now. We need to be able to seek and pray for the welfare of the city. We need to make certain we're not listening to false teachers. And lastly, we need to seek God with all of our heart. As Jeremiah, giving the message from God to the people, verse 10 through verses 14. Thus says the Lord. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness. That word wholeness is the same word welfare that we've already talked about. Plan for welfare or for peace and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now let's talk about that verse. This verse has been misused and misapplied. So many times. I know the plans I have for you. They were wanting to leave Babylon. The plans for them was 70 years of discipline. That's what this verse is talking about. I know the plans I have for you. And we say, the Lord's got plans for me. Do you want the same thing they had? Are you with me? Now, we can make application and say, does the Lord know our future? Yes. But 
Romans 12, 1 through 2 tells us, don't be transformed by, the, by this world, but be trans, don't be conformed to this world, excuse me, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and know the perfect will of God. So in this passage of scripture, when he is saying to them, look, 70 years have to be completed. I know the plans I have for you. That's the connection point he's making. The plans were, you are where you are. So build houses, plant vineyards, plant gardens, and live for me there. Because he was saying, I have plans for you. It's not for harm, it's for wholeness, for your welfare and not for evil. Here's what he's saying. It's for your benefit that you're in exile. It's for your benefit for God to work out some of the things that he has to discipline in your life. It's for your welfare that you're going through this. Actually, one of the verses that we read in our worship set in 1 Peter is that God loves us so much that he refines our faith because it's more precious than gold. Could it be that what God is trying to work in you, you're fighting against it, but maybe you just need to say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What is it the welfare that you need to do in my life so that I can be useful for your kingdom? I know the plans I have for you. Yes, God knows the plans he has for us. But when we're reading this passage of Scripture, let's make sure we're actually understanding what it's saying here. So what does he say? He continues to say, and to give you a future and a hope. What was their future? Their future was in 70 years, where were they going to go? Back home. So their hope was, hey, after this point... You're going to get to go back there. Some of them didn't get to go back. Daniel the prophet who was in Babylon never got to go back, but he was there. But even as he lived there, you know what happened to Daniel? Because he lived for the king there, God rose him to prominence. He gave him leadership and blessing. And he was a huge influence to the kings who ruled over him because he was living for the king or the king Jesus. Not just the king that was over him, but he was honoring him. Is everybody with me? You understand? So here he is. You have a plan for him. So what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to live in that moment if you're there? This is the key. Verse 12. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So let me put it this way. So while they're there in 70 years, if they want God to hear from them, if they want to find him, they have to seek him with what? All of their hearts. Seek and you will find. Now some of you immediately start thinking, oh, this is kind of like hide and seek, right? This, this is the exact opposite of hide and seek, right? Hide and seek, someone goes and hides somewhere and we've got to find them. That's not what the Lord is saying. This is like the most obvious hide and seek. It's like we say, if, if, let's say God's here and says, okay, we're going to play hide and seek. All right, I'm going to hide. Come find me. And you open your eyes and people run the other way. God is saying, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Do you understand the difference? This is what God is saying to you and me. This is what I'm pleading for us here in January 2024 through our month of prayer in the word. If we seek him, we'll find him. If we want to live for the king greatly. It's not rocket science. The Lord longs for us to seek him. The Lord longs 
to reveal himself to us. The Lord longs to pour out his favor and blessing. You know what the Lord says? Jesus says in John 4, verse 23, he is looking for true, authentic worshipers. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do we seek God with all of our heart? I mean, we're talking about these different things, the way Jeremiah's challenged him to live, to live as exiles and make sure you're praying for these things and making certain that we're actually not listening to false teachers. Because listen, if you're actually seeking him with all your heart, then you're going to be able to know what is true and be able to discern what is false. There's one passage in the New Testament I think gives us a great outline of how to seek him with our whole heart. Well, we already kind of understood it, basically. In 2 Chronicles 36, you know what they were doing? What were they doing? They were looking at the abominations. They were seeking after things they didn't need to seek after. They were ignoring the words of God. So the opposite of those things in how we seek him. We seek the word. We seek what is true. But turn with me James 4, 7 and 8. And I want to give you this New Testament practical example and give you some conclusions and challenges today. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Love this passage of scripture. I think it just gives us a New Testament balance in regards to how we're going to seek the Lord, if we want to do what we're seeing here in Jeremiah 29 and living as exiles for the king, for our God, James 4, verse 7 and 8 tells us, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many people know if you're pursuing God, the devil is right there pursuing you? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Just like what Jeremiah 29 is telling us, right? If you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's why we're looking at Isaiah 59. The Lord's hand is not too short to save. His ear is not too dull to hear. But it's our wickedness that has turned him away. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. That's a great pattern of how to seek the Lord with all of our heart. That we're humbling ourselves before the Lord, that we're humbling ourselves there in verse 9, that we're being mournful over our sin, that we're seeking Him with our whole heart, that we're resisting the devil, that we're seeking after God that we understand this exactly what Jeremiah has told us to do. So here's some concluding challenges I give you. How do you view yourself, your family, on this earth? Do you view yourself as cozy, comfortable, and just wanting to just kind of lay it out and play it out? Do you see yourself as miserable and just want it all to be over? Do you see yourself as actually an exile that you recognize that everything that you have belongs to the king? Your house, your possessions, your health, your money, it's all his. You're just a steward. And you say, God, I am yours. When you realize more quickly that he's the king and we're just servants to him, then you begin to realize that everything that you have doesn't come by your hard work. Certainly God gives us the ability to do those things, but you realize it's all for the Lord. And some of us, as we go into 2024, need to have this mind shift again to realize we're here for the king and we're exiles to serve him. Secondly, are you actually living and praying for the welfare of the city? Are you simply just trying to cruise and ignorant to those things? You're tired of all the political stuff? Look, I'm tired of all the political mess too, but the Bible tells us we need to pray for those in authority. Pray for revival and awakening in our land. Thirdly, there are false teachers that are prevalent. 
And you and I need to make certain that as we enter 2024 and you're hearing my challenge to be in the Word, you need to be in the Word because listen closely. There may be a day coming where we don't get together. There may be a day coming when the small group leader that you're looking to to teach you the Word, you may not have access to. I'm not speaking to be a fear monger, but I'm speaking to you as true. One day it's going to come. Whether it comes in my lifetime or a lifetime after me, you need to be prepared. The false teaching propaganda is super prevalent. And it's super subtle. And you need to be able to discern. The last question I just ask you. Are you seeking Him with your whole heart? Everything about you. Living for the King. If not, then this morning that might be your prayer. God, I need you to search my heart, to show me what is sinful, to show me what is wicked, so James 4, 7 through 10 can happen. Lord, cleanse my heart so that I can be able to draw near to you and you draw near to me. God has called us to live for Him as exiles in this land, in this day. And this year as we do it, let's make certain that we're prayerful people and we're people of the word that God can use. Let's pray. Father, you gave a message from your prophet to your people some 2,500 plus years ago. And that word is still prevalent for us today. Sometimes we get too comfortable, we get too settled in our routines and in this world, and we, have, we sometimes lose sight that this is just temporary. So Lord, I pray for a renewal in our mindset to realize we're just passing through, and you've called us to live for you as exiles in a strange land. Lord, I pray that we would be people that are not just simply passive to those who are in authority over us, but that we would seek the welfare of the city, seek the welfare of the North Shore, and pray for you to bring a great movement for your namesake. Lord, I pray that you would search us and show us if we're truly seeking you with our whole heart. So Lord, I pray that you would make us those people. Because, Lord, we want you. Thank you, Lord, that you're not hidden, that we can't find you. We're wondering where you are. Thank you that you are a God who is readily available to your people who seek you with all their heart. So, Lord, I pray for those in this room. Maybe they have felt like that they have not been able to find you. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in them to not lose hearts. But, Lord, search us. If there are things within us that is a hindrance to our deep communion with you, would you reveal that to us even now as we pray? So we may confess those and turn from those so that we may walk in a deep communion with you. Lord, there may be people, even as we begin to sing, who have prayer needs that they've written on the cards. They're going to bring those and lay those here on this stage because they are desperate for you to work. And so, Lord, I pray you would hear your people this morning and work greatly. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is not too short to save. 
and your ear is not too dull to hear. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we stand and as we respond, there will be people here to receive you. But if you want to take some time and pray at your seat or bring your card and lay it here, you can do so. Those who are watching online, you can send an email to prayer at R.C. Lacombe and send us your prayer requests. Let's truly lay our knees before him and let's seek him with our whole hearts.